With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome back, everyone, to the Golf Unfiltered Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Adam from GolfUnfiltered.com. You can follow me on Twitter at GolfUnfiltered, and you can follow me on Instagram at the same name. And you can send me an email, GolfUnfiltered at gmail.com. Folks, it's another Golf Stories episode, and we welcome Freddie from the Hackers Paradise Forum. You may know him as Tadashi70. He is a very active member, a very long-standing and respected member of the Hackers Paradise Forum. And we talk about a lot of different topics today. Now, Freddie has been a member of the PGA of America uh, for many years, and he actually left the PGA shortly. Oh, well, actually, he was there for 15 years, if I remember correctly. And he gives it goes into a little bit about why he left, and he goes into a little bit about his thoughts on what could make the PGA of America a little bit better. Uh, and certainly shares some insights that you you wouldn't normally hear or you wouldn't normally be aware of had you not spoken to somebody that actually was a member and then left and then started another career. In addition to that, we talk a little bit about the PGA show, which I had mentioned that I'm going to be joining my friends um, from the Hackers Paradise in covering in 2019 and a, a whole lot more. And it's just a great conversation with Freddie. Before we get into the conversation, I want to do my regular hellos and shout-outs to my friends over at thehackersparadise.com. If you're listening to this on the THP radio app, hello to all of you. I also want to say hello to our friends over at budgetgolf.com. Great sales going on continuously. We just ended, I'm recording this on November 1st, they just ended the uh, fall sale, the Halloween sale, I guess is really what it was called. And there were just some incredible deals that were going on. But be sure to continuously check back with BudgetGolf.com with more sales and specials that they have going on. And last but certainly not least, hello to our friends over at Cleveland and Srixon Golf. Uh, again, I you know, I've said so much about these guys. You know I love their equipment. I'm playing it. I You know, I wish I could play it more. I'm going to try and get out to play this weekend it 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 might be above 50 degrees this weekend in chicagoland area i think my buddy and i are going to try to go out on saturday i hope that the the skies just open up and that there's a, there's some sun because I, let me tell you even if it's 50 out and it's overcast it is really cold in the midwest and so we're going to try our best to get out there and i'm going to enjoy playing that equipment for my friends over at cleveland and srixon all right we got that out of the way we got a nice, a little bit longer conversation with, uh, we don't usually do interviews this long. It's just a few minutes over our typical 25 to 30 minutes, but I think you're going to really enjoy what we talk about. And many thanks to Freddie for uh, appearing on the show. So sit back, relax. Here we go. Welcome back, folks. As I mentioned at the top of the show, I am very excited to speak to another member of the Hackers Paradise Forum. You guys know that we like to have these golf stories 
with folks that not only listen to the show, but also read thehackersparadise.com and participate in their massive online community. And today we welcome Freddie, and you might know him best as Tadashi70 on the on the uh, forum, the THB forum, a very popular member. I know we've conversed a few times in many different threads, Freddie, and I'm just so excited to speak with you today. Thanks for being on the show. Adam, thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure. Thank you very much. You know, and I, I love these shows, Freddie, because I like to talk to, you know, regular golfers like myself, but you've certainly had a more in-depth experience in the game of golf, and we'll get to that here in a second. But why don't you give our listeners, certainly who, who might not know who you are, uh, you know, a little bit of background about how you got started in the game, as well as what brought you to the Hacker's Paradise. Well, I got started in the game um, like a lot of men um, through my dad. My dad would go out and play golf, and I could have nothing to do with it. I was a, born with a soccer ball on my foot, so I played <laughs> soccer all through, even through college. It was an intramural in college, but um, I, I could care less. But then one day, I just went riding in the cart with them, and I hit a couple of shots, and like this is pretty cool. And so the next summer, I asked them to buy me a set of All Americans, um, which all the heads flew off eventually, but that was my first set of clubs. And I remember I went to the local Muni um, nine-hole track, and my third hole, it was a par three. I hit a five-wood from, I think, 140. It landed on the green. I two-putted for par. Nice. We went out that night. I think I made a nine on the same hole. (laughs) So, you know, it was a very humbling experience, but it was something that allowed – he and I to go out on the weekends and play, but more importantly, it gave me something to do during the summer. So I would be dropped off at the executive course and I would play this nine hole track all day long. Um, I think I did it for three months before he actually took me on the big course. And when he took me on the big course, you know, I failed miserably. Um, but it was something that I stuck with over the years. Um, I improved rapidly. I went from shooting in the hundreds, the next year shooting at the end of the year i was shooting in the mid 70s Hmm. um so i've been around the game roughly 30 i'm 48 now so 35 years wow yeah yeah well that's a rapid improvement you said you went from shooting in the hundreds one year and then in the 70s the following year what was the main catalyst to that improvement You know, I became a range rat, and there was a sign at um, the club that we played at in Milwaukee, and I spent every day trying to hit that sign, and I had a wicked slice like most golfers do when they first start out, and I had to figure out how to get the club face to do what I wanted it to do. So through beating balls over and over and over and over again, I fell in love with a what I call a fall-off-the-table fade. The ball hmm. went out straight, and it just fell. And I started peppering the sign left and right, just hitting it, hitting it, hitting it. And I learned how to putt, and I learned how to chip. I mean, those are the the biggest things I, I learned how to do. Now, hmm. granted, I learned how to hit the sign with a three-wood and a one-iron and two-iron. If I put a driver in my hand, it would slice off the planet. It didn't matter how I was hitting my other clubs, the driver would slice. So I hit a lot of one irons and two irons off the tee as I was growing up. And I think that aided me well because I learned how to hit those a long way in order to play the courses I was playing. 
That's really interesting. So just that the the target mentality on the range and listeners, this is this is a big learning moment I think for a lot of folks because Freddie, when I go out and and practice, you know, I try to practice for with a purpose. You know, that's what people teach and that's certainly what people mm-hmm. talk about on the forum. But you actually went so far as your purpose was hitting a very specific target and very literally hitting that target. That that's really interesting. You know, it- I don't know. Maybe it's my addictive personality that I have because anything that I do, I want to do really well. I don't believe in doing anything halfway. So golf was my love. It was my passion. I was going to learn how to, you know, I was going to learn how to hit the ball straight. Um, But to this day, my off days, I don't hit it straight. My miss is still a high right. I mean, 35 years, 38 years later, I'm still hitting the ball high right when I miss it. Um, but you know, to my credit, it was just, I just ingrained it in me. I I did not want to go out on the golf course and fail. I didn't like the feeling of shooting in the hundreds. It was a miserable feeling. It was not being in control of what you're doing to me is, is miserable. I just, I don't like the feeling and I, I never have. So I think beating balls till I hit the sign was, just me saying, okay, I, I'm going to control this. And that's what I did. Um, over the years, I, I watched golfers and you said you go to the range with purpose. My question to you would be, what is that purpose and where did it derive from? Is it something that you saw on YouTube? Mm. Is it something that you went and saw a professional about and he actually put his hands on your club and he told you how to do it? Is it something a buddy told you? Um, to me, if you went to see a pro and he put his hands on you, then you have a purpose. If you're looking at something at YouTube, unless you're a visual learner, you're, you're kind of hoping when you go. And if your buddy told you, you're just going to hit balls. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless your buddy's a PGA pro uh, or a very, very good golfer. Um, so whenever people tell me, yeah, I went to the range and I hit a hundred balls and my, goal was three-quarter swing well was that on videotape how do you know if you actually accomplished what you set out to accomplish mm. and then people will say well i was grooving the ball well on the range you can groove a bad swing to do what you wanted to do i mean you can say oh okay i i was hitting a, a five-yard fade when in all actuality you were pulling it and you were hitting a 15-yard fade but the way your shoulders were aimed you thought it was a five-yard Fade, but everybody else is looking at you hitting these huge bananas. I think I have that shot in my bag. <laughs> Pretty. I awful. think we all have that shot in our bag. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because you're, t- you're so uh, right away. Even just the description of what you mentioned just now, it speaks to the fact that you know how to articulate how to play the game at a higher level, and that, that uh, obviously got you into eventually the PGA of America, where you were a member for a few years. Yeah. Um, so in 90, 94, I got out of college and I had no idea what I was going to do. I played golf at Simpson college and I got out and no clue. So I sold health insurance. Hmm. Um, and that allowed me to play golf, all the golf I wanted to play. Um, and then I was playing golf one day and almost got my head taken off by the vice president of, uh, Pfizer pharmaceutical Hmm. company. Right. 
and I ducked. And for some reason, he was tickled pink that I ducked and the ball missed me. So he basically offered me a job at that point in time. And I moved to Washington, D.C., where one of my best friends to this day lived. And he worked at a golf course. Hold on. I got to stop so, you there. I got to stop you right there, real Freddie. So you almost get you almost get uh, pelted with a golf ball by the president of Pfizer. <laughs> And you, get, right. and you get offered a job on the spot or the same day or shortly after? No, on the spot. I was I was actually at the Breakers in wow. Palm Beach. At My father um, was the head of the Association of Black Cardiologists, so he got invited to these outings. So Pfizer was sponsoring this outing, mm-hmm. um, and they just happened to be on an adjoining hole at the Breakers. And he literally hit a, a you know, a five-foot-high shot. I saw <laughs> it. I moved. And he was just like, I've never seen anybody with those kind of reactions before, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> One thing went to another. We had a couple of drinks, and he offered me a job. And literally six weeks later, I had finished my training in New Jersey, and they put me in D.C., and I was working for Pfizer, uh, pushing uh, high blood pressure medicine to the docs in the uh, greater Washington, D.C. area. No kid, That's amazing. That's a great story. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, continue. I'm it, sorry. <laughs> no, it is. And I, I still laugh about it to this day that that actually catapulted me into my professional career as a golfer. Because when I got to D.C., my buddy worked at a course in northern Virginia, and I spent a great deal of time there when I was done working with my docs. So I would work with my docs in the morning, and I would go out to the club and we would play golf. We played golf every day, rain or shine. Um, little course called Pinnerbrook in uh, Northern Virginia. Okay. And I fell in love with it, and I was not officially on staff with them, but I became good friends with James, the head pro, my buddy Eddie, and then my buddy Sean, and we just played golf all the time. We got to travel. Uh, my first trip to Pebble Beach was because I was playing there. But basically the bottom line is two years later I quit Pfizer and I started working in the golf industry full time and I moved to Miami hmm. and um, started working at the Biltmore and the Biltmore and Coral Gables, which was one of the few courses in Miami where the head pro actually owned the pro shop um, and the driving range. So we were allowed to teach. Um, and at that time, Jim McClain was teaching over at Doral, so you, you couldn't teach there. You couldn't be a private teacher unless you were at like Lagores or some of the private clubs in Miami. Um, so fortunately for me, I lived on a lesson tee for from 97 to 99 when I left there and went to Doral as an assistant pro. Um, and I left Doral because I was offered a job out at Pumpkin Ridge and I went to Pumpkin Ridge and I worked out there for a few years before I moved to Orlando to actually try to pursue a career and playing, mm-hmm. um, which I found out rapidly that I was one of a thousand guys that carried a scratch handicap that could shoot one or two under par one day and then shoot 74 the next day, mm-hmm. um, which became extremely frustrating. I could never string three solid rounds together. I'd have two solid rounds and an okay round and it would take me out of the money. And when you're playing mini tour events, if you're not finishing in the top three, you're not getting paid. Um, but I was fortunate enough to play in a few mini tour events and the money that was actually given to me when I left Portland, um, I was able to pay that back um, and still teach in Orlando 
for another year after I gave up playing. But then after that, I just, I got so frustrated with the game threw my clubs in the closet and said, I'm never going to play again. And I went and took a job working for a company called GES, which is a trade show company. And that started my 15 career, 15 year career in trade shows. Wow. So you've yeah. seen a lot um, of different industries and, and really it sounds like you kind of go all in on, on different avenues really based on uh, circumstance, but also because of, of, you know, where you want to make a mark at that moment in your life. Is, is that something that you've done throughout your life? Yeah, I think so. Especially in my professional career. Um, I realized, right away that well actually i was i was i would i would say i was probably a little selfish uh quitting the game because i thought um oh, i'm so good I, I i mean i'm cleaning everybody's clock I'm, I'm winning all this money i should be playing better and i was one of those guys that uh i wouldn't play with today um hmm. i wouldn't play with a, a 1999 me because that guy uh was a tool um, in terms of how he acted, throwing putters in the pond and cursing and, you know, just carrying on. Um, and, you know, I'm glad that that's out of my system, but, you know, back in the day that I just thought I was good. So I, I thought maybe I was owed being able to play professional golf. Hmm. Um, but I found out real quick that I wasn't and I needed to have a career and make money. And so I, I gave up being in the PGA so that I could have a career and, you know, make a living for myself. And I actually made a very, very good living. And that was a very good move leaving the professional ranks and just getting my amateur status back and just having fun with the game of golf. I mean, I fell in love with the game six months after I gave it up when I started working at GES and I've never looked back. That's so interesting to me, what you just said about falling in love with the game six months after you gave it up. And I think, you know, it's funny because uh, listeners to this show know that, I've, you know, growing up, I worked uh, at a golf, at a country club and, and really got a really in-depth look at what a professional golfer has to do, not someone who's on tour, but just from a business standpoint, and it's not all glitz and glam, you know, and I think a lot of people don't really understand that, but, you know, Freddie, from your perspective, when you were in the PGA, my understanding is that it wasn't a very diverse community. In fact, it was, it was if anything, it was the opposite of diversity. Isn't that right? Yeah, when I became a PGA card-carrying PGA assistant pro, there were at, and this isn't a scientific number, but there were 11 African-American um, teaching pros in the business that I knew of. Wow, 11 um, total. 11, and I'm going to throw out a number because it's, it's not a specific number, but I think there were something like 57,000 members of the PGA at that time. Jeez. Yeah. Wow. So it just wasn't it wasn't an industry that people were going into for a career. I mean, there were plenty of African-Americans that played the game of golf. I mean, my dad played with the um, NNGA, which was the National Negro Golf Association in Maryland. Mm -hmm. um, 
and that was all African-American at the time. So, but as far as professionals go, I would go to the PGA show and if I was lucky to see another African-American there. Um, and it, but it, you know, I'm not, I was raised not to see color. Sure. And so when I, when I say 11 African-Americans, it's just, it's a fact. It's not me saying, Oh, you know, African-Americans can't be golf pros. Cause now there's plenty of them. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, there's a lot. Um, the game has opened up. Tiger opened up the game. He brought a whole new sect to the game. Um, you know, other pros are, are putting African-American golfers on their back. There's the first tee program, things of that sort. So in, in no way am I saying that this is a, a, a racist thing. It's just, it was a fact There just weren't people of color in the industry. Right. Um, but that's been the case in most of the industries I've gone into in trade show. It was the same way. I would walk the trade show floor and I didn't see too many African-American executives in the industry. No. Um, and I was in there for 15 years. Now, now granted, yeah, I've seen some, um, but for the most part in the trade show industry, the general contractor industry, there really aren't a lot. And I don't know if that's, you know, I was just raised in, you know, middle income family. Both my parents are doctors and I, that's the environment I was raised in, but those are two huge industries mm-hmm. in the United States that I don't see. I didn't see a lot of diversity in. And if you took the sheer numbers of it and you, and you took the percentages, well, it, it's still not very diverse, but that doesn't mean there's anything broken with the system. I just think you do what you're, what's available for you to do. Now with that, lack of diversity do you feel that that contributed at all to you losing the passion for the game or was it purely your your firsthand experience with your your individual play no the answer to your question is no the lack of diversity in anything in life has never dissuaded me from doing what i want to do Mm. um Again, I think you do you do what's available to you. So I grew up and went to school in very predominantly non-African-American communities. Um, I went to college. I was one of 11 African-Americans at Simpson College, which is in the middle of Iowa. It's 12 miles south of Des Moines. Um, so, no, that, that didn't take me out of the game what took me out of the game was the lack of what i thought lack of effort by the pga i I thought that you were a pga member but they did very little to actually cultivate their members they Hmm. and this is my opinion diehard pga people i know they're going to disagree with me and they have for years but i think that you pay your dues and you're told what to teach when you're going through your, your courses to become an assistant pro or a teaching pro, they never teach you how to teach. Hmm. So I hear so often that people go to these pros, these assistant pros or full, full fledged PGA class A pros. And they have these classes are like, well, he didn't teach me anything. Well, he actually did. He taught you what he knew, but they never 
taught us how to teach the game. They just gave us the information that we needed to use to teach it. And consequently, they're still doing that to this day. I, I, I see these pros that are at these shops, and I listen when I'm on the range, and I hear them. Okay, uh, you want to keep your head behind the ball. Okay, you want to two knuckles, got to show. All right, bend your knees. That's textbook 101 that you could read in Ben Hogan. Right. You know, nothing about art and keeping the club face square and, you know, what your knuckles are doing on the downswing and where you should feel your elbow here and where you should feel it here and things of that sort. I just, so I just got disenchanted with the PGA. I, I really did. I'm like, I'm paying these people and I'm not getting anything out of it. So to me, it was, it was a losing battle. I think I enough with it. I'm done. What, what you just mentioned was is really important because I actually wasn't aware of the of how you know PGA professionals when they get into teaching how they uh, are given their curriculum for the lack of a better word it's it, it doesn't work that way it, it basically if I understand you correctly and from my own experience pros as you said teach what they know based on what they were taught and so on and so on there's no master curriculum other than of course the the text and one of which that you mentioned with ben hogan's five lessons there's nothing that there's no class there's no conference that everyone gets to uh, that goes to and, and learns how we're going to teach in 2019 for example is that right well in 97 there wasn't but now you go to the pga show in january and butch Harmon's there and butch Harmon is blessing whomever's listening with his wisdom Mm. and if the guys that are there aren't gleaning something from that then they're missing out because i became my passion for teaching and the knowledge that i have came from sitting with jim mcclain sitting with david ledbetter sitting and listening to brad brewer and various high-powered um what we call top 100 pros these days and listening to them and just watching how they teach and sharing my ideas with them over coffee. Uh, you know, I, I used to sit with the Harmon brothers because of my friend Eddie that I, I had in Virginia, and we would just chit-chat and we would just share ideas. Now, would they remember me from David? No, but I was just, I was lucky enough to sit and just, soak in everything that they had to say. And the, the, my best teacher was this gentleman by the name of Ace Noonan, who took me under his wing at the Biltmore. This guy was, he was, he knew everybody, you know, he knew Jackie Burke, he knew Jack, he knew all these people. Um, maybe not on a first name basis, but he came up in that Sam Sneed, Arnold Palmer area era. Mm-hmm. So he knew these guys and he taught me, how to teach. He said, you have the knowledge. I'm listening to you on the range. Now I got to teach you how to get all that knowledge out and make sure that you individualize it for each person, because the golf swing is different for absolutely everybody. Mm. Yeah. So, I mean, that was my biggest lesson in my early on in my career. And then I just, I sought out, situations where i would be next to the best in the world and listening to them and i've been lucky i 
I have friends that are out on tour. I have friends that have played and they've retired and we've hung out and stuff like that. So I, I've been lucky that I've played with tour guys and I still know them. And I, I glean a lot from these guys. And uh, to this day, I still have solid relationships with pretty good teachers in the, in the industry. Some people don't like them, but I, I happen to like these guys. And we touch base on a regular basis. And I feel like that, camaraderie and the ability to stay in touch with those teachers feeds into, if I understand what you're saying, it feeds into your reinvigorated enjoyment of the game. And part of that it is part of that also your involvement with the hackers paradise and the community that exists there. I mean, it's, it's a fun place. So I'd imagine that that probably is a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, I happened upon the hackers paradise. Um, I was researching, a older model Titleist three wood. Um, and I happened to find the hacker's paradise. And I remember I, I did my login and I looked at it and I was looking at the form and I was not an internet guy. I wasn't the guy that was sitting in my basement as they all say we do. <laughs> right. Beating on keyboard, you know, talking to people. I didn't go into chat rooms. It just wasn't my thing. I was on the golf course. I mean, I grew up, we played outside we didn't play video games. Video games were like the third thing on the list. Right. So I was always outside. Didn't matter what. Um, but then uh, JB sent out a tweet, um, getting ready for a PGA show. And he's got all this, you know, soda and beer and da, 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 da. And I, I just, I remember I reached out to him on Twitter. Um, and I said, how do I get involved with that? And he goes, Oh, this is the hacker's paradise. And you know, he wasn't promoting it as hard as he is now, mm-hmm. or as I should say, as smartly as he does now. Um, he just said, Oh, this is what it is. And, um, I still didn't really dive into it too much. And then I got into it and it, I will admit it at first it was, it was difficult because I was always arguing was always arguing <laughs> with somebody about Tiger Woods. Yeah. And defending him and or saying he's this or he's that and then I would find myself sending PMs on the backside because I'm so sorry because I was being a, a jackass and blah blah blah. But JB launched the Morgan Cup and they put out a post for volunteers. And I said, no, "I'll do it." So, I went over to Reunion I met 16 guys that I had no clue who they were. Um, I met JB, I met Morgan. I remember we set up the shop and we were doing a live feed and the guys were supposed to sit there and talk about either TaylorMade or Callaway at the time. It was the Razor and the uh, another R11 line, I believe it was out at that point in time. Right. And um, I just remember marveling at these 16 guys that, we're getting treated like pros and JB and I were chit chatting back and forth. And one thing led to another and he goes, we got to play golf. And we played golf at Grand Cypress and uh, true to form JB still does it today. He brought me some J 40 wedges before they came out. Nice. And I absolutely fell in love with them and I started reviewing them uh, or talking about them. And I just got entrenched in Hackers Paradise and it became more of a a loyalty thing for me because I had so much respect for JB and Morgan and they were just, they had be, they'd become dear friends of mine. 
So me sticking around was more about them than it was anything else he had going on. And I participated in a great deal of events. I've been lucky enough that I've been the captain of the Morgan Cup. I've played in a few Morgan Cups. I've been to some outstanding events. And it's I marvel at the amount of work these two do to do these events to keep everybody excited on the form. It's just it makes me happy that these people that get into these events that would never be able to do this. I mean, this avenue that JB's created isn't done at any other of the online sites. Now, granted, I don't go to any other online sites. I don't go to WRX. I have nothing against them. But between my kids and my work, Hackers Paradise is really all I can handle. Right. And I will never go away from Hackers Paradise simply because I'm loyal to a fault to my friends. And I consider JB and Morgan to be friends, if not family, at this point in time. They they have that quality about them, and I actually had the opportunity to meet uh, Morgan for the first time uh, a few days ago. Actually, last week, now that I think of it, uh, my wife uh, and I went out to dinner with uh, JB and Morgan, and they're just they're just great people. And you know, listeners, I you know, uh, <laughs> Freddie and I, we don't want to make this an entire advertisement <laughs> for JB <laughs> and Morgan, but they are really truly great people. Um, you know, and I think everyone that I've spoken to that knows them would say the same. But I think what you touched on there, Freddie, is is really important that when you talk about the different avenues of getting into the game, even at a very high level, even at at a business level, there are good things and there are bad things. And that's the same can be said for any industry. And listeners to this show show know that I I work in a different industry during the day. And I could certainly relate to everything that you're saying because – you have to maintain that enjoyment of whatever it is that you're doing for a living. And when we talk about a game such as the game that you and I both love, and certainly everyone that visits the THP forum loves, you have to maintain the fun in it because otherwise it's, it's no longer a game. It becomes a chore. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, what I have found my experience with the hacker's paradise has been that it's kind of reinvigorated that for me as well. And it sounds like that it's done the same for you. Yeah, I mean, it has. It, it keeps it keeps me going. And like anything in life, it has its highs and it has its lows. Um, there are times where I just don't want to be bothered with being online. Um, and I think everybody gets that way. But in terms of pure knowledge and camaraderie and just really just shooting the shit with guys and and women yep that love the game of golf as much as i do i think it's 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 a treat you know it's it's a pleasure to be able to do it it's a pleasure to be able to pick up a phone or a computer and go on to the hackers paradise and know that you can share experiences you can laugh you can commiserate you can pat people on the back um it's just it, it really does buoy the game in in every sense and you know i again i don't want to make this like you said an advertisement for them but they're it's not just a golf form it's really an all-encompassing media package i guess for lack of a better word because it has something for everyone from food to clothing to golf clubs i mean Mm -hmm. to politics i mean i don't like to get into the politics thread because i get upset (laughs) but it's a scary place yeah it is a scary place 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's a lot of different topics that, and you know, and that's really just the baseline of golf. You know, that's the benefit of being able to play this game that we love. And, you know, I know that, uh, Freddie, you and I have uh, corresponded a couple times over Twitter, and I've really enjoyed our chat to this point. And certainly we, we are going to do this again because I feel like you and I can talk about, you know, a lot of different topics for a long time. But I did want to uh, touch on one final topic, and it's something that we talked about regarding the, uh, the PGA show. Uh, last episode, uh, listeners, you know I, I mentioned that I'm going to be helping out the Hackers Paradise at the PGA show in 2019 uh, in January. Um, there's a lot of stuff, Freddie, that's been a lot of stuff that's been said about the PGA show. I've been there before, as, as, as I know you have too, for many years, and it's it's it doesn't really differ too much from one year to the next. But I think mm-hmm. next year is going to be a little different because TaylorMade's not going. There may be some others that we're not aware of yet that aren't going. Do you do you think that the PGA show is as important today as it was in years past? Personally, no. I don't. I don't think it's an important um, entity anymore. Um, I think. I think it became unimportant because of who's running the PGA show. Mm. Um, I just, unfortunately they priced a lot of people out of the game. Um, I understand release cycles now they're, you know, more frequently. So stuff's getting released. So there's really no reason to be at the show. I remember there was a big ruckus when Nike didn't come to the show. Um, they had a huge booth and then all of a sudden Nike wasn't there. And then McGregor dropped out. Um, it's just, people were dropping out, ping dropped out. But the show just kept on, and I kept seeing the same people at the show. Um, booths have stayed the same um, over the years. I mean, Titleist ran with the same booth for X number of years. Um, Callaway has changed their booth every single year, you know, and that's credit to Johnny Rodriguez. The guy's a, a maniac when it comes to those designs. But um, from my standpoint, and again, it's way above my pay grade. I don't see the ROI from going to the show. I really don't. I don't, I don't understand it. I think it's a huge boondoggle. I think people are going to see their friends and to hang out and there's nothing wrong with it. I'm not putting it down, but in terms of signing green grass deals at the show, most of those are done before they even get to the show. Mm. It's really an excuse for everybody in the Northeast and Canada to come to a warm climate and hang out for five days. And I mean, I've, it didn't used to be that way. It used to be, you would go in there and you would work, you know, you were working. That show had 60,000 people on it every single day. Now it's 30, 40,000 people the first day. By the time you go in there on Friday, they're already taking booths down. Right. You know, and they're, they're ready to go. So I, for me, I don't see the ROI, but again, it's above my pay grade. I don't know what Harry Arnett knows at Callaway and what he's getting out of the show. And I respect that because they keep going and they don't let up. They don't half-ass it when they go. And neither did TaylorMade. When TaylorMade was there, they didn't half-ass it. Nobody half-assed it. They did a great job. They made sure it was colorful. It was bright. People came into the booth, but it was still very difficult for me to see how they were gaining any market share 
by being at that show. And I honestly think they need to revamp the show and do something different with it. I That's going to be the number one thing that I'm going to keep an eye on while I'm there. Um, you know, and I, I know that there's going to be obviously other coverage that we'll be doing, but I think you touched on a lot of things that I certainly agree with Freddie. Um, you know, the ROI is a huge thing. Even today on Twitter, I put out a few things about, the idea that you have to do more with less, and that's just a good business decision, especially now um, in many different industries. But I, I appreciate your thoughts on that too, and I appreciate all the thoughts that you shared in this conversation. You know, and listeners, this is the type of talk that you know we're going to do more of here on the uh, the podcast. And Freddie, I, I really appreciate you uh, reaching out and and volunteering to come uh, to come on the show. I really uh, enjoyed this talk. No, I, I enjoyed it too. You know, I was listening to your talk with my buddy Mike, and uh, you know his openness was sort of eye-opening to me. So I was like, you know what? Let me call Adam and see if he'd be interested in bringing me on the show. And I'm glad I had something to offer and something that I hope your listeners are entertained by, or at least want to rebut. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's all about starting conversation. And I was serious earlier. We'll, we'll get you back on the show here. Uh, but in the meantime, listeners, you know, once again, we're talking to Freddie. You know, you may know him as Tadashi70 on the Hackers Paradise Forum. Go out to the forum, thehackersparadise.com, and, and you'll see him chatting away. You'll see me chatting away there, too. But, Freddie, uh, thanks again, and we'll do this very soon. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. Have a great night.